Today we are actually going to be talking about the the uh, the topic of love. Everybody loves love, and to be able to successfully do that, I brought my wife up. That's what you that's what you call bringing up the big guns, right? <laughs> well, we know Valentine's Day is coming up soon. Uh, how many of you love Valentine's Day? few hands. Okay, not as many as I thought. Okay, how many of you really don't like Valentine's Day because it's so expensive? It's always expensive. It's always more. Does anyone do what we do? We arrange Valentine's Day on a different day so we don't have to fight the crowds and you don't have to fight the exorbitant prices. And it's like, I refuse to do it. It doesn't sound, it sounds like love, doesn't it? You're like, I refuse to pay that much money. Yes, anyway. So, does anyone know the song that goes, love and marriage, love and marriage goes together like horse and carriage, horse and carriage. Sometimes you feel like the carriage, you're being dragged along. Sometimes you feel like the horse, right? Which is pulling everything along. That's what marriage really feels like. But today we want to talk about certain things that we have discovered about marriage, not only for ourselves, but in, in, in a lot of the, the marriage counseling that we have done. Because marriage is something that is, of course, it's the institution of God, it's something that God has put together. But marriage is something that I don't know that most of us have really taken the time to prepare for. So if any of you are single today, then this is a phenomenal opportunity for you to try and catch up on the story of what it takes in order to be married and maybe learn some one or two things that you can try and avoid in your future marriages should you choose to get married because marriage is not something that just works perfectly as soon as you get married. I don't hear very many amens here today this morning. But it's amazing how much we demand or, or believe that love will be the only reason that will keep our marriage together. Love is the only, and it's amazing how many songs in the charts today are all just about love. But love is something that will not sustain your marriage. Oh, did I just say that? It'd be great if Taylor Swift could come out with a song. It's just like, love won't sustain your marriage. She won't make any money on that one, right? Because no one's gonna believe that stuff. It's all about love, love, love. Love is a good thing. It puts some gas in the tank, but it doesn't operate the car. It doesn't make the car work together. There are certain things that we've really discovered. And I'm gonna talk about two specific things and they're gonna tag my wife in and then she's gonna correct everything I just said and um, tell you what the real truth is. But here's the first thing I've discovered. I've discovered that it takes dreams. It takes a, a good plan for our dreams. And the first thing I wanna say is this, that give your dreams some plans. It's important that the dreams that you have for your marriage or for yourself that are in your marriage, you have to come up with a plan of action of how those dreams are actually going to work. In Proverbs, it says this, by wisdom, a house is built. What's a house? Well, we know it's not just about bricks and mortar and roofs and, and nice uh, furniture and patio furniture. A house is talking about a family. It's talking about a marriage. And he says, by wisdom, a house is built. And through understanding, it is established. What does established means? It means strong. It means being able to withstand uh, 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 the longevity of life, that we're able to withstand the storms of life, to be established, something that has got a deep foundation. 
And then in verse four of Proverbs 24, it says, through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Through knowledge, beautiful treasures. What's rare and beautiful treasures? Well, it's talking about value that should be in your life. The value of, of, uh, of goodness that's in your family. The value of hospitality, of, of righteousness, of goodness, of blessing, of loyalty, of all these wonderful things that love should be about. It doesn't mention once love in this whole scripture right here. It mentions three different things and I wanna just touch on them very quickly. The three different things that we believe that marriage needs or marriage plans need is number one, it needs knowledge. It needs knowledge. Now, many of you, when you got married, you remember having to put your plans together for your wedding day. And you had, to, you had to search out the right uh, uh, florist and getting the right DJ and you have to get the right officiant uh, uh, um, like me, right? And you have to get the right, the right place, the right venue and how much work it takes. It's so much work just to turn up and say, I do. All I wanna do is say, I do. And then let's get on the honeymoon. That's all, we okay? But no, 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 there's so much work that goes in. It's amazing how much effort and how much money is spent. But when you think about it, the amount of education and, 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 and effort that it takes in order to get a vocation is way more than what it takes from what we put into our marriages. When you think of the amount, if you, if you wanted to become a doctor, you're gonna have to go to school for eternity and then you'll get a license to become a doctor. If you wanna become a CPA, you've got to study and you've got to study and study and then you're given the opportunity to, apply, to, to take a test to see if you're smart enough to actually do it. We take, we, we take so much education in order to get a license to do our vocation and in order to try and even drive a car, but we don't do it with marriage. Do you know what it takes to get a license for getting married? You just have to prove you're here legally and then you have to prove she's not your cousin. That's pretty much it. And anybody can be married. It's amazing how much time and effort we put into trying to drive a car or trying to get a vocation, but we haven't put that same preparation into having a strong marriage. I wonder if we should put more tests in life in order to try and be ready for marriage. When I was young, uh, I, of course, I grew up in a church and I'm a pastor's kid and, and sometimes you would have conferences there and they would have a, you would have a conference that was only about love and marriage, etc. I would still go to those conferences, even though it would seem to my friends that, well, no, you're not married. You, you don't need to go to that stuff. You're not even good looking enough to find someone. You don't need to learn about that stuff. And, and I, but I still went because I wanted to learn what it's take, it will take in order to make this type of thing happen. Imagine how much you've spent. Calculate it. How much have you spent going to school? How many? $10,000, $20,000, $30,000. How much money have you put into education? I know someone was telling me recently they're still trying to pay off $100,000 of education and also trying to pay off $100,000 of their spouse's education too. And I'm like, 200,000 in education alone? Oh my gosh. Imagine how much money is spent on that. Imagine how much money you've spent on your car. What's the average cost of a car? 15, $20,000? Maybe you brought a, a brand new car and you love that car and it costs a lot of money. How much money did you spend on your house? I mean, the average cost of a house, I think, is maybe up to $200,000 now. And your mortgage is maybe about 1000 or $1,500 a month. And you're paying so much money for a house, for a car, for an education. But I'm going to ask you this question. How much have you spent studying about marriage? How much money have you spent on books, courses, conferences to have the best marriage possible? Now, I'm not saying 
that you have to spend the rest of your life in school just having to learn about, school, about, about marriage. You don't have to do that if you don't want it. But if you want to have a strong marriage, you need to make a commitment to the investment of what it will take to have a good and strong marriage. You have to put some time into it. I will bet if I go to your house, the average person maybe has about one book on their shelf about marriage. Think about that. And yet our children, our community, our country, even our government is dependent on the core structure that God has created for humans to work in peace together. That's marriage, right? Our children, our families, and our communities are dependent on us creating strong marriages. Number two, the first one he said was knowledge. The second one he said is understanding. Understanding is comprehension. What is comprehension? That is when you go to school and you do a whole year of education in, let's say, grade five, right? And once you finish grade five, they give you a test to see if you understood everything you just learned that whole year. Is that right? Even throughout the year, they give you small tests just to make sure that you're keeping up with things and you're, you're able to prove that you really know what, all, what you have learned and you actually understand it. You see, being able to just recite what you know or being able to prove that you've taken notes on you know or being able to prove that you have the books on what you know is not good enough. You have to actually understand it. And so to get to the next grade, to get to the next level, we do this with our children, you have to prove that you actually understand what it is that you're looking at. Now, many, I believe, get married, but they don't necessarily understand themselves. How are they going to understand the other person? Right? I think it's, I just, I've discovered this a lot. And of course, you know, many of you know, I've written a book that I, that's called Becoming Unstuck. And it's amazing how when you're stuck in your life, you're then automatically stuck in your marriage because you can't give good things. You can't, you can't help your marriage to go to the next step when you're personally stuck yourself. And when you don't understand yourself, when you don't know what your own wants are, what your desires are, what your weaknesses are, what even your calling is, then you get to a place where you're just stuck in life. And how are you going to grow your marriage? When I, was, uh, I, when I was in Scotland, I only dated one other person before I had ever met Crystal and we got close enough to, to, to believe that there's a good chance we're probably gonna get married in this. But as we were going along, I started to discover that we didn't have the same goals in life. Yes, we went to Bible college together. Yes, we were Christians. Yes, we loved each other. It seemed like we have all the things that seemed that would, be, that would put us together to make us strong and be ready for marriage. But the more I went into the relationship, the more I started to discover that you don't want the same goals as, as I have. You, we don't have the same goals. We're not going in the same direction. And because I understood myself, I was able to say, this isn't going to work out because you're going this way and I'm going to go this way and we're not going to end up at the exact same de uh, destination. Inadequacies is a huge thing that I find in people's lives. And I get it, we all have inadequacies. But the one thing I've discovered is that marriages cannot fix your inadequacy. You cannot, it cannot be fixed by the marriage that you have. Marriage just shows up your inadequacies. You see, one of the things that I discovered when, when, uh, uh, when, when Crystal and I started hanging out with each other and I'm like, she's kind of nice, right? I didn't need her. Crystal, I didn't need you. It doesn't sound like love, does it? Crystal, I don't need you. I, I do not need Crystal. You know what I really loved? She didn't need me. And I'm like, yes! Now I don't have to fix her problems, right? She didn't need me and I didn't need her. 
because there's many people who believe that you, you bring 50%, she brings 50%, you become one whole person. Rubbish. You're meant to be whole and the, uh, your spouse is meant to be whole before you try and get into a marriage. If you're coming in with 75 and she's coming in with uh, uh, 95 or something, you're still not whole. Now, I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but you have to be whole by yourself. You've got to understand where you're at. It could be simply understanding what your own inadequacies are understanding your own weaknesses. And even there was times when Crystal and I would have a conversation. I'm like, listen, here's the thing I can't handle in life. Here's the stuff that drives me nuts. There's my pet peeve. This is my, this is my weaknesses. This is my temptations in life. I can't handle that type of thing. And, and of course, when we discovered that it was like, okay, I understand your weaknesses. She understands my weaknesses. We could agree that we both could live with the other person's weaknesses. Wow. The third thing he says is this. He says wisdom. We must have wisdom. Wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. Wisdom knows that love doesn't make a marriage work. Let me tell you, the amount of people I've told to who are either on their way to divorce or they are divorced or they're, they're, they're in the middle of a divorce, I always ask them this question, yeah, but you still love them. Do you know that about, I would say, picking a number out of the air, 99% of everyone says, yeah, I still love her. Wait a second. If you still love her, why do you want to leave her? Because I can't live with her. Well, if you still love him, why are you ditching him? Because I can't stand him. Love is no measure to prove the establishment of your marriage. It won't give you the strength. It's a good thing. It gives you juice. It gives you gas in the tank. It helps you to, to feel the joy of what you're doing. But love must be an action. It must have some plans. If you don't have plans, the dreams for your marriage uh, will fall apart because dreams for your marriage needs a plan. It needs knowledge. It needs understanding. It needs wisdom. Not, not, not the demand from the other person to do things. Here's the second thing that I want to, I want to talk about is I want to talk about the dreams that are in our marriage. When you get married, you always come to the marriage with dreams, things that you want, things that you desire. You may not have talked them out. You may not even know what they are, but it's good to talk them out. It's good to know what they are. And there's certain dreams that every person has and my wife's gonna have dreams and I'm gonna have dreams. And here's one of my dreams. My dream was to, to be able to have the family where I had, I had a wife and I had children. Look, I've got two children right there. I have dreams of having healthy children. I wanted two children. What if she wanted 10 children? Now we'd have a problem, right? Unless we actually talked about it. But here's, here's the dream right there. There's one of the dreams. What else have I got? Oh, here's the type of car I want. I want the type of car that is, you know, is, is gonna make me feel good about myself. Yeah, or maybe, but maybe my spouse, maybe my spouse wants the car where she feels rich when she pulls up to the restaurant in Winter Park, right? But no, 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 I don't want that type of car. I want the type of car that is economical, right? And she's like, I don't want an economical car. I want a car that looks gorgeous, right? But this is my dream. My dream is an economical car. What else have I got in here? Oh, here's a house that I want. Here's the house. I want this nice house and I want a pink roof. You can see I want a yellow side. I want green grass. I want a picket fence. Here's the dream that I have for my house. What else have I got in here? Oh, here's the amount of money that I want in my life. I want to make a hundred, no, I want 200, no, I want a million dollars every year. That's how much money I make. And, and to get these dreams, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of effort on my, my behalf. But maybe she doesn't want 
a million dollars. Maybe she doesn't want to have me working constantly all the time. Her dreams might be different from my dreams. What else is in here? Oh, I've got my passport, my passport with all my travel stickers and where I've gone. And oh, I went there and I went there. And oh, I love it. And now what I've got is I've got the dream of traveling the world, but does she have the dream of traveling the world? It doesn't mean she has to have the exact same dreams as me, but it does mean this, that you don't want to make your dreams into expectations of your spouse. You don't want your dreams that are in this beautiful box in here and turn them into expectations of your spouse. You see, you got your basket full of dreams, but now when you turn it round and you're in the marriage, now the other person is expected to either support them, to act it out or to be it. But maybe it's not her dreams. I believe that you can have dreams, but you have to have plans that are in alignment with your spouse. What does that mean? Being in alignment just means that you're in the same spirit, that you're agreeing with these things. But when if I have a dream and I haven't discovered if she's in alignment with it, then I now have a combative relationship with her. There's gonna be times when she's not gonna be supporting it, when she's maybe gonna say something against it, and it's gonna cause me problems. There was a time when I actually had a dream of going back and working for my father. This was before he died about 20 years ago, and I wanted to go, uh, go work for him. And I wanted to, I'm like, hey, I want to, someday we're gonna to go to Scotland and we're gonna, you know, we're married now, but I wanna to go to Scotland, I wanna do that. And, and yes, she actually did agree with me, but I now look back on it and I realize I never actually took the time and said, what did you want? What do you think God's calling us to do? What's the dreams in your heart? I'd already made the decision of what I wanted and I made an assumption that she was gonna be a part of that. Now I'm subtly making an expectation of her to have to live and act accordingly that works with my dreams. What I find is people get disappointed with each other because the other person doesn't want what you want. Now what's true is she's also had dreams and I've looked at her dreams and went, I don't want that, right? There was a time when it was actually, we had, we had worked hard to pay off her house and I was so glad to be out of debt. That was one of my goals in life. That was one of my dreams. And she was in alignment with it. And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. And then we had a house that was out of, out of debt and everything. And for three years afterwards, we lived the joy. And after three years, she came back and said, I think I want a bigger house. And I'm like, well, you said, what? No, I like being out of debt. I don't want a bigger house. She's like, yeah, but I think that's what we're meant to do. And she, had a, she even had a dream, she had a poster board, she had a picture of a big house on it, right? Big house on it, and I'm like, that's gorgeous, that's, that's wonderful. Who's, make, who's, paying, who's paying for that thing, right? That's what was going through my head. And she's like, yeah, but I think this is what we're meant to do. And I knew that God was, was speaking to me and said, yeah, but it's her dream. And the, here's the cool thing is, if it's her dream, it's her problem. I don't need to take on the responsibility of how to make it work. Because if God has put that in her heart, then God can fulfill those things. If he's put something in my heart, he can fulfill those things. But we have to be in alignment with each other, with the same spirit. And so I said, if you think God's told you to do it, then you make it happen. Because I don't have that dream. I don't have that desire. If I start working towards something that is not my dream, if I start working towards something that I only see as labor, as an expectation, as a drain on me, then it's burning me out. And she's like, it's wonderful. And I'm over here in the corner going, it's terrible, right? It starts burning me out. The other spouse can often feel used and abused simply because they feel like they're constantly supporting what the other person is doing. We just read in Proverbs that knowledge brings you valuable wealth in your family. 
Knowledge is the thing that gives you these treasures. And so it's important for us to start growing in knowledge, in understanding, and in wisdom. You do what God has called you to do, and your spouse should actually support you. Now, here's the thing that I've found. When you discover that your spouse is living out the dreams that they want to, it should inspire you. It should get to the place where it's like, dang, she is killing it right now. I better up my game in order to be able to keep up with her. It should inspire you to see that God is doing great things in your marriage. He can do it through her. He can do it through me. And then I'm inspired. I'm like, let's go to the next level. That's what marriage is meant to be about. And at this point, I'm gonna tag my wife in. That was good, yeah. That's some good stuff. <laughs> good morning, good morning. Yes, if you're um, visiting today, welcome. We, uh, we're doing a series on marriage this month. And so I just wanna encourage you. I, I woke up this morning and I started thinking, you know, I, I hope the people that visit us this morning, people that are coming, and if they're in the middle of a divorce or if they're, they've recently, they're recovering from a divorce, I'm glad you're here and please do not leave discouraged because we want, we want to inspire you today, even though a lot of it is about marriage. You know what? There is life after divorce. God is still God after divorce. Love, his love for you remains after divorce. His plan for you remains after divorce. So please leave encouraged and, and allow these, the things that we're talking about today, allow them to spark a lot of really meaningful conversations with the people in your life, with your children, with your parents, with your family. So um, please stick with us. <laughs> we'll have another series um, next month as well. And it'll be just as good, I promise. So thank you for coming today. We, when we were talking about this, this series and you know, what we wanted to talk about today, I was thinking, what is that you know, secret sauce in a marriage that just makes a marriage feel like it works really well? And the thing that kept coming back to me is being on the same page as your spouse, being in unity with your spouse. And Okay, Peter and I had really amazing examples of that. Each of us had parents that worked really well together. They were on the same page. But that is becoming increasingly rare, right? I mean, we are talking to more and more people that are saying, I came from a home where my parents were either divorced or maybe they were married. Maybe they had a very decent marriage and you felt very loved growing up, but they were never on the same page. And it's very, very difficult to teach unity. Unity is something that's more caught than taught. So when you grow up in, you know, in, a, in a home where, where there, there's a lot of um, fractures within the relationship, it's difficult to, it, it's got the wrong atmosphere. Unity is a lifestyle. You feel it in the air. You feel the connectedness. And so that's why we say it's more caught than taught. It is absolutely possible to learn the concepts and to learn the lifestyle. I'm gonna call it a lifestyle. Unity is a lifestyle. To learn the lifestyle of unity, even if you did not grow up within a home where your parents were working well together. Let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul says about this. In Ephesians 1, he says, I, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain 
the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Notice what he does not say. He does not say a manner worthy of what you were subjected to as a child. He doesn't say the manner in which which you were raised. He doesn't say a manner in which is your own truth. He says a manner worthy of the calling that God put on your life. That's so key. That means it is possible. It is possible regardless of what our situation is, regardless of how we grew up. It is so, so important and so necessary for our homes as Christians to look like this, to have that bond, that, that unity and the peace. Let me make it very clear here. Um, when we're talking about unity, <laughs> unity is not agreeing with absolutely everything your spouse says or does and walking around like Stepford wives or Stepford husbands in this utopian society. That is not what unity looks like. You know, unity can have some grit to it. You know, it can have some, some spunkiness, some areas of non-essential disagreements. That's okay. We certainly have that. But let me, let me show you some areas. This is what unity is. Unity is walking together in the same direction towards the same goals. Unity is supporting each other's dreams. It's guarding each other's blind sides. I'm not gonna see everything. He's not gonna see everything. We are guarding the blind side for each other. Unity is being vulnerable, absolutely being vulnerable. I know this is really wordy, so if you need to take a picture of it because I'm getting ready to, to switch the slide here, I made it wordy intentionally because I'm trying to give you a big picture of what unity looks like. Because some of us are just, we're like learning, we're trying to, to grasp what this is. <clears throat> All of those things. Why is unity so important? Why are we talking about this today? Unity gives us the ability it allows us to see who our true enemy is. That's why unity is so important. We do a lot of marriage counseling, and I would say some of the most common things that come up within marriage counseling is finances, drama with extended family, in-laws, parenting disagreements, and spouse expectations. So these are all pretty like your run-of-the-mill normal things that we would talk about in marriage counseling. And I get it. We've, we've had to work through all these things too, right? It's very, very normal. These are all real issues. So I'm not belittling this whatsoever. <clears throat> but what I've seen happen is that in some cases, the spouses will have these hamster wheel arguments. Does that make sense? So you've seen a hamster on a wheel and it's like they're working so hard and this is so important and they're spinning their wheels. They're not going anywhere. They're, they're spending all this energy on something that is going nowhere. And in some relationships, they have these arguments where it's the same issue over and over and over for years and years. And it could be for about finances. It could be about kids. And the bills are long gone and paid for and they're still having these arguments. In some cases, the kids are grown and gone out of the house and they're still having these arguments. So when we see 
that we have the same arguments over and over and over again, and we're kind of stuck in this place on this argument. We have to realize what the real issue is, who the real enemy is, because Satan, our enemy, he is super happy for us to keep being distracted by these little arguments, by these little things, because guess what? If we're distracted over here, he is free to do his own thing over here. We are too distracted to notice what he's really planning for our family. <clears throat> we, um, we sometimes forget that our enemy is a long haul strategist. He's in this for the long haul. And so while we're busy arguing over finances and kids and this and that, he is after one thing. He has one goal, and I'll tell you what it is. It's not a secret. He's after the souls of our children. That is his goal because he is out to destroy humanity. And if he can destroy humanity one family at a time, generation after generation after generation. That's his goal. So we, as, as a, a, a family unit, we have to be so vigilant at what we're doing as a couple, that we're on the same page, that we're staying within this unity. This is why unity within marriage is so vitally Important. It's why Paul says, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have been called. You may say, this is all new to me. Like you, you kind of got this growing up. This, my parents couldn't even, they didn't want to be in the same room together. They didn't want to be married. Like I, I've never seen a marriage work together well. <clears throat> uh, so I want to leave you with some action steps, some action items. Uh, this isn't a comprehensive list by any means, but this is something that we always want to leave you with something, something that you can do to begin to cultivate unity within your marriage. The first thing on this list is constantly forgive. I was watching this comedian a few months ago, and I don't remember his name, he was an older gentleman, and he was talking about when him and his wife argue. And he said, when my wife and I argue, it begins to look like a band in concert. We start off with some new stuff, and then we roll out our greatest hits. <laughs> and that, this is like the first service, that's laughter of recognition, right? So he's got it down right. If we have got to keep short accounts with our spouse. If you are bringing up past events into present arguments, that's a pretty good indicator that you have not forgiven that person, that unforgiveness still exists. And let me tell you, unforgiveness is cancer in a marriage. Absolute cancer. It will eat away slowly until you have got nothing left. You have no energy left to do anything. It's um, forgiveness, the basis for any breakthrough that you want to see in your life. If you've been asking God, God, I need breakthrough in this area. Why isn't this changing? Start with forgiveness. Every time. I think forgiveness is probably one of the most misunderstood concepts in our culture. I don't know if it's just an American culture thing. I've never done a study on it or anything. But in our culture, 
there's this idea that if we're forgiving someone, it means we're letting them off the hook, that what they did, we're saying it's okay. That's not what forgiveness is. When you forgive someone, that does not cancel the debt that they have between themselves and God. That does not say that everything's okay, they're squared away. And it doesn't remove the natural consequences of sin from their life. What forgiving someone does is it makes you right with God, you guys are good, and it removes the, the, the tie that you have with that offender. That's why forgiveness is so important. I had gone to, just a, a personal example, I had gone to the chiropractor a while ago because I was having pain in my shoulder. And, you know, the chiropractor, they do their examination, and, and um, he said, oh, actually, it's your lower back. You're ha you have the issues in your lower back. And I'm like, it's not my lower back, it's my shoulder. Like, I know, I know where my pain's coming from. And uh, he said, well, you may be feeling pain in your shoulder, but the problem started in your lower back, and it has... Uh, repositioned everything all the way up your spine, now you're feeling the pain up here. And I'm like, that is what unforgiveness does, right? So we can be feeling a pain somewhere. It's because we've let something go too long. If you let your accounts get longer and longer, it will start to reposition things to where you're feeling pain in places that no one ever actually hurt you. And then you start to blame people who never originally hurt you to begin with. So that's why it's super important that we maintain forgiveness quickly, keep short accounts within our marriage. And I will, I, I will end this section with, with saying this. If your children, if, if, if they're seeing us argue, when our children watch us argue, we need to make sure they watch us forgive each other. We can't argue in public and forgive each other in private. We've got to teach our children what it looks like to forgive someone. And so I would reverse that. Argue in private and forgive in public, okay, if that's what you have to do. But make sure your children are watching you live a life of forgiveness. Number two, focus on what your spouse does well rather than their faults. This is, I'm writing this one down. I know, I'm writing this one down. I'm like, oh, this is a hard one. This one, this one hurts. It does. You know, it's funny how marriage is like one of the only things in life that can either bring the best out of you or the worst out of you. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's like you meet some people and you're like, you're a really great person. Gosh, but when you're with your husband, ugh, <laughs> they're just bringing the worst out of you. So it's amazing how marriage does that. We need to allow our, our, ourselves to focus on what our spouses do well. This is super easy when we're dating. Have you noticed that? Like, we're not seeing any faults when we're dating. All the faults like, magically appear once we're already married. So when this is happening, if this is your current reality, your current situation, I would encourage you to find one thing that you are thankful for, one great quality in your spouse each day, just one, and then thank God for it. And then the next day, find a new quality and thank God for it. And pretty soon, you're gonna be speaking in faith over your spouse, which is where we're, that's the place we're supposed to be, right? We're speaking things, we're saying that this is how God sees you and that's how I'm gonna choose to see you. We're speaking in faith over our spouse. All right, number three, steps of walking in unity with your spouse. Number three, be intentional about growing each other spiritually. 
This takes intention. When you're growing spiritually together, you're cultivating a friendship. That takes time. That takes effort. You are growing closer emotionally. You're bringing God into your everyday conversation. You're growing your mind by talking about spiritual things, by talking about deep things. And one of the things, just as a personal example, one of the things that we like to do is we like taking walks together at night at the end of the day. You know, when you're trying to like decompress from the day and uh, we talk about what book we're reading, what God's talking to us about, what we're struggling with, what we're praying about, uh, the, just, you know, the direction that we think that God is taking us. We are talking about all of these things while we're walking and that is us growing each other spiritually, that is us making sure we are on the same page, that, that one of us isn't going off into left field because they're struggling with something. Um, so I would encourage you, some, some couples like having devotions together, Whatever that looks like for you, I would encourage you to be intentional about that time with your spouse. Guard it carefully. Do not allow the pressures and the stresses and the busyness of life to get in the way of doing that. There's three questions that we want to ask, that you wanna ask your spouse during this time. What book are you reading or listening to for all of you audiobook um, lovers out there? What book are you reading or listening to? What are you struggling with? And what is God saying to you? If what is God is saying to you, if that one's big and scary, say, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? But have those honest conversations together. The everyday things matter. We have to be intentional. Okay, number four. Keep the first things first. How do we know what's important in our life? How do we prioritize things? Because yes, hey, working hard, that's important. Paying bills, super important. Getting kids to where they need to go every day, very, very important. But they're not the first things. They're not the most important things. And to kind of understand that concept and understand what that is. If I told you tonight, that today was your last day on earth, that tonight we dine in heaven. How would you spend the rest of today? Would you go home and clean your house? I wouldn't. Would you drive to work and finish that stack of paperwork on your desk? Would you go home and play a video game? or watch a Netflix, that movie that's been in your queue, you go home and watch that. I'll tell you what I would do. I would say the sinner's prayer for the umpteenth time and make sure like we are squared away. Like I know where I'm going. There's no doubt, no doubt. You know, that there's no unrepented sin that I don't know about God. So, you know, do that first. And then I make sure we're right. You know, we're good, right? We're good. You're going to wait this amount of time before you remarry, right? <laughs> We're good. <laughs> and then, you know, you, we, we apologize for anything that's maybe hindered us. I would apologize to my children for putting my stresses on them when it wasn't their burden to bear. I would make sure they knew that they were the absolute best part of me. And then we would just spend the day having the best time together. 
Imagine if we lived every week like this. That's the first things. If we remember to put the first things first, that will cultivate a spirit of unity in our marriage and within our family. So this is the time I'm gonna turn it back over. If you're ready, if not, it's okay. I'll keep going, but it's we're running so out of time. It's so engrossed, it's so engrossed. Let's stand today as we end our service. I want to encourage you that ma uh, marriage is awesome. It's work, yeah. but it's awesome. I used to sometimes go to marriage conferences and meetings and stuff, and I'd walk away going, I don't know if I want that anymore. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, it's a million times greater than, than you could ever imagine when you become in alignment with each other, when you have the same spirit. So I want to bless you now. Father, I pray that every person that's here today that needs courage and they need encouragement, Father, that they will start to see something rise inside of them. That's the spirit of encouragement inside of themselves. To believe once again that the dreams that they have have been planted by you and that you want to make them come to pass. And Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that there'll be something that is of use to every person in this room that they can walk into the next week with, that they can start putting into action because this is not built overnight. This is built one step at a time. And you have said that great things will come to our households, will come to our marriages and will come to this earth because we are walking in alignment with you. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you'd bless every person in this room that they can make a decision of one small change in their lives this week to live life to the full. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.